to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. We are one day away from the draft, and on today's show, Kyle Krabs makes his return to the Drive Time Podcast, the host of Locked On Dolphins and a big-time draft analyst there at the Draft Network. I'll get his title here in just one second. We're going to preview this entire draft, take a look at how the Dolphins could get better, and we'll also talk to Kyle a little bit about the entire draft storylines and what they're working on there over at TDN. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. I think I have a solid 15, 18 questions here for Kyle, plus some riffing and follow-ups we did on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. So plenty to get to. Let's not waste any more time and get to my guest, Kyle Krabs. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is the grind father himself, the director of scouting at the Draft Network, Locked On Dolphins host, or should I say Locked On Dolphins, Kyle Krabs. How are you, my friend? Is that uh, you poking fun at me already? And I just got here. Yes. Uh, I don't have that Pacific Northwest accent <laughs> to roll with, but uh, it's good to to catch up and talk a little ball, Travis. And I'm obviously excited to talk Dolphins and draft and a couple of my favorite things. So uh, would love to to get this thing started in whatever uh, direction we we think the people are going to enjoy the most. Well, look at you taking the high road there on my trash talk. It was something I've 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 asked you about in the chat a few times, and you probably just blow me off and. That's probably the best way to do it because I'm just being stupid like I like to Correct. be sometimes. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the draft and the Dolphins, and it's a big week this week. Anything going on for you this week, man? Uh, no, you know, I might go to Bed Bath & Beyond. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know if we'll have enough time. You don't but, have enough time. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, be in, uh, we'll be in Las Vegas with the Draft Network all week, and uh, we're going to do some, some really cool stuff with some of the prospects that are coming through, and obviously we'll have our coverage uh, with so, some video content and a bunch of written content. We got a great team over there. So uh, we're, we're full steam ahead. This is kind of our Super Bowl. We love that this weekend can be all inclusive for all 32 teams, even when you only have four picks and none in the first 100. And uh, as we heard Chris Greer talk a little bit about last week, you know, that that depth of process this time of year is, is important for not just now and making these decisions, but, you know, you might get a year or two down the road and somebody's available via the waiver wire or uh, you want to make sure you mind your P's and Q's, dot your I's, cross your T's. So it's it's a great time of year for that for all 32 teams. Are you just proving to me that you listen to Drive Time since I told you I haven't caught up on Lockdown Dolphins lately? Because I talked about that exact same thing, I think, a couple episodes ago. So I, I think no that's coming. maybe what you're doing here. Uh, no, no, man, it's, it's an interesting point. I loved, you know, Chris Greer's uh, press conference last week was very – very informative, very transparent, and just I, I like the way he to- he spoke about certain things, and that was one of the things that really stood out to me was him talking about the value of the picks they do have, and you're not just going to like go into the draft and say like we're not just actually going to watch Tyreek Hill highlights. Obviously, a joke on his part, but you know I, I put this point out there, and you probably would know better than I do because you run in more circles across the league than just one team. But you know I, I'd heard this from I think Move the Sticks talks about it sometimes about the value of the depth of your scouting staff and your regional scouts, or your area scouts, and how much really goes into this process, but just how valuable is the depth of your scouting staff when you do get into that sixth, seventh round priority UDFAs, 
regular regular UDFAs. Those guys become more important at that stage of the draft. Maybe more important is the wrong term, but they really get their their hands dirty, and that's the work that comes out of that is typically that part of the draft. Am I right in that? Yeah, I mean that that's the the group that's boots on the ground, right? Who who regionally is going to schools all throughout the summer and the fall, and you know you kind of create a little bit of a relationship with people within each one of those respective schools and their buildings to kind of intimately know the finer details that. Now, when you're trying to scout, you know, some of these databases are starting with like 10,000 prospects and you whittle it down throughout the course of the summer and then the fall. And then you get to the start of the winter and you know these lists are down around 300, 250, and you just continue to whittle it down. This whole draft process is largely from a team perspective. We're trying to find disqualifiers that we feel like don't make you somebody we feel safe investing in to bring into our program. And you know, those people who are in the minutia of it all for, uh, your late round guys and your UDFAs, yes, they're essential and they're critical. And especially when you get to the UDFA portion too, because a lot of times you have to, if you're a highly prized UDFA, you could probably have half the league calling you up, right? And, and it's, you know, what is your what is your ability to convince that player to come play for you? Is it the most guaranteed money that you can offer at signing, which we, we've seen teams try to strategize? Or is it having a good relationship with somebody in the building that makes you feel like I'm going to have a home here and I know I'm going to get a chance to compete based on what these conversations have been. So a lot of that sounds almost like a college recruiting pitch. Like you're back into that 18 year old's living room, talking to mom and dad about the best opportunity. Is that kind of, kind of the same idea? Yeah. I think that's, that's a great way to present the long and the short of it. You know, we, we all, we, we hit what four o'clock on Saturday and the, the last pick is in and Mr. Irrelevant. They, they do the quaint, Thing where the guy goes up with the jersey, Mr. Irrelevant, and 257. I think this year it's like 260 or whatever. And they, you have your pomp and circumstance, and they're like, okay, draft's over. You turn the TV off. But like, it's after the draft is over for so many of the teams, it's like, that's when things get really crazy. And I would expect that to be the case for Miami this year with only having four picks. You know, you, you're going to have a chance to bring in a lot of guys to compete for those bottom of the roster spots. Um, and that's something that you can play up as well as obviously locale, state income tax, and you know the, the opportunity to compete. This is a young team that's contending, and you can point to the guys like a Nick Needham and say, hey, this guy was a UDFA. He came in here. He worked hard. He did all the right things. Um, and here he is, and he's entering into his third season with the team or his fourth season with the team uh, and a chance to, to secure yourself a long-term future as a member of an NFL franchise. No, that's, that's a really good point to talk about the, the previous guys they brought in. And, you know, you can go back to Robert Jones last year as a guy that I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot and, and the, the limited snaps he played last year and how he kind of impressed us with his work there and his potential to, you know, maybe make a push for a, for a job this year on the offensive line. We'll see how that works out, but you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the UDFA class looks like because you kind of feel like, as you go along, and I think that, you know, from, from the top down, Mr. Ross to Chris Greer to, to Mike McDaniel, those guys have to believe this this roster is as far along as it's been during this, you know, kind of 2019 process of building these, put, putting these resources together, putting these assets together, and ultimately putting a football team on the field that can go out there and win a bunch of games and, and you know, get into the postseason and all that fun stuff. So it's interesting to start there talking about the back end of this draft and it'll be a big part of, of what our content coverage is here on drive time and MiamiDolphins.com and for locked on dolphins as well, obviously. But I want to talk a little bit with you, Kyle, about just the general draft because I find myself a week out here and I'm doing my dolphins work and I'm, I'm getting to work on some future content stuff. But I thought to myself today, like 
I really don't, I haven't paid as a close attention to all these mock drafts, all the, you know, the, the, the buzz is this guy's going to go up and get this guy or whatever the case may be. Like I haven't really focused as much on that stuff. So I just kind of wanted to get your take on the top part of this draft, kind of what you think will define this year's draft. And, you know, I guess just kind of riff off of the part of the draft that the Dolphins are not going to be participating in the first round. How, how do you describe it? Uh, it's the wild, wild west this year, I think, would be the best way. I mean, we're we're a week out as of you and me sitting down talking about this, and we're, we're having meetings with our group at TDN talking right now about how we, we wouldn't be surprised to see the guy who's been the presumptive number one overall pick uh, in the last three, four months, Michigan's defensive end, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, making it to four. That's crazy. And, and we're, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, okay, you know, there's some – some buzz on Trayvon Walker, the defensive end from uh, Georgia, potentially usurping Hutchinson and going at one. Uh, obviously, Trent Balky, who's, who's in an executive role there, was there in San Francisco and the success that they had with Alden Smith. And, and Walker has kind of rare athleticism and, and elite length versus Hutchinson is, is more of a high floor, uh, but doesn't have those rare physical skills. His length isn't as notable. Like, if that's something Balky's going to hang his hat on, like, he could go one and then you get to two and we're having the conversation about, okay, well there's, there's Brad Holmes. Who's the GM there in Detroit. And yes, Aiden Hutchinson's from Michigan, but Brad Holmes is from out West and they just took Penny Sewell last year. And they took Amon Ross St. Brown last year. They, like they had a pretty successful tenure with, with picking pack 12 players. Is that going to push them in that direction or will they go quarterback? And it, it sounds like, uh, the the buzz of Malik Willis and that connection was there because of the senior bowl has cooled off a little bit. And then you get to three in Houston and um, will they go corner? Will they go pass? It's, it's like every, we know so little this year versus your standard year at this point in the draft process that it, it really makes it fascinating. Even though I think some of the, the sexy positions on the offensive side of the ball that really move the needle for draft discussion don't have their usual spice that they do on a normal year. Yeah, that's that's kind of the theme I've got. You talked about the Draft Network doing big things and expanding. You guys have made up, I think, I think you are 5 of 10. So previously it was 44%, now batting an even 500 as far as Draft Network employees doing my, my preview shows here. And you guys have absolutely killed it for us. So a big thank you to you and your team for getting on that with us and, and making it happen for us here. But, um, you know, I, I want to play I want to get to the Dolphins here in just a second. Let's go ahead and take our first break. Before that first break, though, I have a rapid-fire game for you. I have not disclose this with you before coming on the show so i know you you attack my character when we come on and (laughs) attack my my lingo and my my vocabulary and now you're ambushing me with something to make a fool of myself but that's great let's go ahead (laughs) go go ask damien and keith how i prepped them i gave them the entire rundown and they were like man this is awesome i'm I'm so ready to go with this just i'm just throwing bullets at kyle here and he's gonna go ahead and fend them off here so i I think you'll do well this is a fun game i trust me it's it's something that'll get some good education for the fans here so what i'm gonna do is tell you a position and i want to hear where you think the first name comes off the board you can say top five top ten you can say pick eight it'll go pick eight that'll be a quarterback there so each position i want to go down the board and just tell me what range that first player goes. Does that work for you? That does work for me. QB. Six. I thought you. I thought I lost you there. That was a, some some thought about that. Well, I, and I think that might be a, a sneaky trade spot. Yeah. Two with Carolina. They don't have any picks. They gave up all their picks. Uh, but I will say six either via Carolina or via trade. And that's Malik Willis, you think? Uh, probably. Yeah. Would not be surprised to see Pittsburgh come get him. Okay, yeah, that's been a lot of buzz on that since the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Running back. Yeah. 30, 
a wherever Atlanta picks in the early second round. Yeah, not first round then. That's that's kind of where I thought you were going to go. That's yeah. And then who's your top back in the draft? Who do you like that the most? I I like Isaiah Spiller yeah. from Texas A and M the most. I know that that he didn't necessarily run a great time, but listen, neither did Najee Harris last year. And I'm not saying that that Isaiah Spiller is Najee Harris, but uh, he's somebody who I think does really good when he gets out of the mesh point. He's pressing the line of scrimmage to anticipate lanes and manipulate defenders to create lanes for himself. He just doesn't have four four speed, but he he checks literally every other box. Yeah, he's he's awesome catching the ball out of the backfield too. He's like he just that A and M offense a lot of time went through him last year. He's yeah. he's a lot of fun to watch. How about wide receiver? I will go ten. Really, to the Jets. I I because because what I, I heard someone talk about I can't remember if it was Jeremiah or it was a guest on a podcast talking about like just take the receiver at four. I thought you were going to go a lot higher than that. Well, I, I think the uh, I know that they're really dialed in on three potential positions: edge, offensive tackle, and wide receiver. Uh, I think the scarcity and and the fact that the Giants pick twice behind him, uh, the Panthers and Seahawks. I mean, there, I think there's enough competition for those other spots that they'll probably go trenches first and get and get the. I think they can still get wide receiver one at ten. Okay, tight end. Um, sometime outside the top fifty. 50. Yeah, it's, we had Fran Duffy on, and he was talking about how nice the class is, but how kind of that glut might actually push it down a little bit. Yes, which I if, agree. If the Dolphins are in the range for a tight end and looking for it, you could get a, a nice value pick there. Uh, let's go offensive tackle. I will say offensive tackle is five to the Giants. Okay. So, damn, that's, again, these positions I keep thinking are going to go top three might be a, a heavy edge portion of that top I part think, of the class. I think we'll go edge, edge, corner in the top three. Well, there's a couple answers. So, I won't ask you edge, won't I ask know. you corner. Uh, interior offensive line. Interior offensive line. Uh, I'll say right now 14 to Baltimore. And that would they be... lost Bradley Bozeman in free agency. Uh, so whether it is Zion Johnson, uh, Kenyon Green, I think they got a couple options there. Johnson showcased some some positional versatility, potentially snap. Um, and they, they've got enough lottery tickets at right tackle. They do have Jawan James, uh, who, who missed last year. He's still under contract. He's cont- going to contend for that right tackle spot, and they'll get Ronnie Stanley back as well. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Let's go over to the defensive spot. Uh, is Jordan Davis the first tackle off the board, and, and who do you where do you see the first defensive tackle going off the board? I would not be surprised to see it at 17 or 18 to the Chargers or Eagles. And that's Jordan Davis? Either Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt. A couple of Georgia Either one Bulldogs. of the Georgia kids. And no one's going to love to hear that. How about the... Uh, how about off-ball linebacker? This one's tough. Yeah, um, it is. It's tough every year. It depends on. I think it depends on how the corner group falls. I could see New England taking Devin Lloyd at twenty-one. Um, you think about Dante Hightower not re- renewing his contract there as of this point in time, and and Lloyd showcasing the kind of three-down value that he had last year and making plays in the passing game, both as a pressure player and in in zone coverage underneath. I think that's very much a New England centerpiece kind of that quarterback of the defense uh dallas maybe a sneaky spot depending on what they and if they want to play micah parsons more on the edge tennessee at 26 uh and then i would also point to uh detroit as 32 as kind of just a, a team that needs to get as good of a football player as they can that might be bpa for them at 32 i know you agree here i, I do not want to see Devin lloyd in new england <laughs> no no he's a he's a stud yeah he's, he's a, an he's, absolute stud <laughs> and stay out of the afc east in general please and so you said you said cornerback number three to houston i have to imagine that's sauce i that's how i would lean i think nick casario and his background with the the patriots and you think about how they've liked big 
long physical press yeah. guys. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then the last question is Kyle Hamilton, the safety, where does he go? The big mystery. I, right yeah. now I would point to either eight to Atlanta or 11 to Washington as but, my two favorite landing spots for Kyle Hamilton. Possibly the best player in the draft, right? Where does he rank on your big board? Uh, he's one for me personally. <laughs> I know. Listen, I, I know he, he ran four five seven, but Ed Reed ran a four five eight, I think. And I'm not saying Kyle Hamilton's Ed Reed. He's a very different player, but the big trend in the league right now is a lot of two high safety looks trying to take away explosive plays from opposing offenses. And, and he can align back there and play downhill and fit the run and, and be an absolute stud in that capacity. And uh, a lot of his other athletic testing was very explosive. He just happens to be six, four. So yeah, I, I think he's, he's somebody I'm not going to get bored with. He's my, my top player. Yeah. Talking about the four or five, all I could picture was the GIF you always send us of, I don't care. I don't care. Right. I don't care. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's come back. I'll take our first break, come back and we'll talk some Miami Dolphins draft here next on the drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield brought to you by auto nation. My guest today, Kyle Krabs. All right, back here for the B Block, the Dolphins Draft Preview Edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I have who else besides Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins and the Draft Network here talking some draft, talking some Dolphins. And Kyle, before we get into that, you know, looking at your Twitter profile and seeing your uh, your banner there with you and the great Joe Marino, Ricky Williams, man, you got a chance to meet the yeah. GOAT. Tell us about that. What a... That was a bucket list item for Absolutely. me. I'll be completely honest. No, I, I'm not blessed enough to go in the fish tank and talk to, <laughs> to Seth and juice or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, we went out to Los Angeles for the Super Bowl for a couple of days. And, uh, Ricky was there with one of our partners with Panini and he did like a card opening and, and did a couple interviews. And, and one of them that he did with us was with us and getting to talk to Ricky and catching up about like what life has been like after the NFL and hearing about all of his entrepreneurial uh, ventures that he has embraced and really tackled with enthusiasm and then getting into talking about the running back position and uh, talking about what traits Ricky would look for if he were looking for criteria for running back to draft in the NFL. And uh, we kind of got him down the rabbit hole talking about pass protection and intelligence. And I'm a, one of those weird football nerds that like, I don't care what your yards per carry is. Like, let me, let me see you stick your face in the hole on third and seven and pick up an Agap Blitzer, right? Like that's, that's what moves the needle for me when I'm watching running backs. And um, we got Ricky talking about that a little bit. And he talked about his, his vision and oh, he made so many plays because his vision in the pocket would be able to see where a missed assignment was from somebody else and how he was able to redirect and pass protection and allow plays to happen in that regard. And we talked about the wildcat and oh, it, it was, he was phenomenal. It was an absolute treat to get a chance to talk to Ricky, and um, I'm very thankful that he, he shared his time with us. I think one of the most underrated traits in any individual in the sport of football is Ricky's passion and love for the game and intelligence of the game, which kind of seems to just, you, you assume because he's into other things besides football, he doesn't have those things, but there, that cannot be further from the truth, and I think you got a chance to kind of have him prove that yes, uh, right in front absolutely. of you right there. And, and, and Seth and OJ talk about them. They both say the exact same thing about just – how, how crazy relentless that guy was working on the football field. And obviously that pairs with immense talent. So the GOAT, man, I love Ricky Williams. Let's let's talk about the current team though here because you and I did this podcast the last two years and I think we turned out mm -hmm. two episodes of 45 minutes a pop, an hour and a half. We're going to try to cut that in half this time and go just 45 yeah, minutes probably today. smart. Yeah, I mean, I know you got a bunch of things going on there. You got to get you got to get yourself that Pennsylvania artificial tan. You're getting the teeth whitened. Are you, have you gone with the frosted tips yet? Is that part of the equation? 
Uh, no, uh, when we're done here, I'm actually going to go get my hair cut by a professional for the first time in probably a decade. So I'm a little nervous, but, uh, I'm trying to look right for, for going on camera next week. Well, so. you're aging like a fine wine, my friend. I'll give you a compliment oh, after sure. all the trash talk I gave you early on. So looking good for camera, man. Look, I can't wait to see what you guys do, man. It's going to be, it's going to be some fun content for you guys this year. And, uh, let's talk some dolphins though, and talk about <clears throat> this off season and how, kind of how we got to this point, right? How we got mm-hmm. to having just four draft picks and, I know you're excited, but I want to have your, our fans hear how excited you are because we talk about this all the time. Uh, you don't got to tell me, but go ahead and tell them. You know, going from 11 picks in the top 100 uh, to just four this entire draft this year. Um, what do you think? What do you think about this team in this offseason, what they've done to kind of build around the head coach and Mike McDaniel, build around the quarterback and Tua Tungavailoa to put complimentary pieces on the football field for the offense and defense? Where Kind of give us your meter where you're at right now with this Miami Dolphins roster. Yeah, uh it's funny you you alluded to the journey that this team has been on since 2019 when they kind of embraced you know taking things down to the foundation and building it back up again right but i'll look even further back and i'll go to when chris greer was first named the general manager of the team back in 2016 and i look at the roster that existed for that team that year when they won 10 games and made the playoffs Versus the roster that we are looking at coming into this year's draft without a lot of draft capital at your disposal, but you invested those picks in impact players. And yes, I think the offensive line when healthy was more talented back then, but it was also a lot more expensive and they weren't healthy often. Uh, And I know you had bigger, more established names on your defensive line, but I don't think the talent level is particularly close, you know, and, and that's, that's a testament to, Chris Greer and the evolution of him working with different regimes and and making sure like we're getting what we need for whatever chapter we're in as an organization right now. And for them to come through this massive influx in young talent with the emphasis that's been on the draft in the last two years to now coming into this year and say, Hey, we think we're close. Like we think we're really close and and we have young players that are going to continue to get better and progress at differing rates, right? Because li- progression's never linear. It's never the same for any two players, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. What the ceiling is, is up to them. Um, I'm so excited about the speed that they have implemented on the offensive side of the ball. And I went down a big rabbit hole last week on Lockdown Dolphins talking about hopefully what we'll see from Coach McDaniel and the speed on the perimeter that we have here. I mean, and, and the screen game was an area that the Dolphins weren't, particularly high volume in last year relative to some of the other offenses across the league. And uh, I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco was in the top 12 in screen rate. I know their screen rate was twice as often as what the dolphins did last year. And um, you know, there, there were teams that were three times the screen rate. And you talk about Tua coming into the press conference and say, we're trying to yak guys to death. Love it. You got Tyree Kill and you got Jalen Waddle in the screen game with a creative play caller and you know, just you're going to have a math problem, right? You're going to sit here and you're going to look and say, okay, are you going to play plus one outside the numbers or outside the hashes on each side? Because if you do, and you're going to go into those two high safety looks, well, now you're lighting the box and we got athletes up front. We got speed inside. And if you're going to play man coverage against us, we're going to run you off and you're going to play zone. Then you're going to be soft on the edge. And we get the whole corner in the run game. So it's like you, you're in- introducing so many different like levels of conflict, offensive infrastructure wise, with the talent and the change in the philosophy that's in place. And I'm excited to see what 
the Dolphins' evolution on that side of the ball is going to look like. I'm glad that they embrace stability on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I still think they'll probably kick the tires on a couple opportunities to maybe get guys that can step into rotational roles quickly. But, like, think about the jump that Christian Wilkins took from year two to year three, right? Now think about what's Javon Holland's jump look like from year one to year two? What's Jalen Phillips's jump look like from year one to year two? Does Christian Wilkins take another jump this year? Like, it, 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 that's the part for the defense that I think is, it's, is exciting. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of familiar faces, but a lot of their strong performers that were young players early on were players on that side of the ball. And we'll continue to see them grow. So I don't think we've seen the ceiling of the defense yet either, as well as the offensive side. Yeah, and Holland didn't start the season as a starter, and Jalen Phillips didn't really get his pass rush production going till you know October. Or so I mean, it's it's yeah. all it's like you mentioned. That's that incumbent growth. I think is where you're going to see a big leap there. You also mentioned the offensive side of the football. Not to mention that the options in the passing game, the running backs they have now with Chase Edmonds and and. Uh, help me out uh Raheem Mostert going Raheem along with Mostert, Miles Gaskin yeah. and you, know, you put one of those guys in a Texas route or an option route on a linebacker after a blitz comes down the pipe I mean it's it's constant conflict like you mentioned and I want to go back to another point you alluded to about Chris Greer's press conference and talking about you know building through the draft but also I love the idea that he mentioned you know we were we were kind of keen on this idea of potentially using that late first round pick or maybe the second round pick on a veteran player and understanding the, the way of kind of constructing this football team as it currently is with Tyreek Hill. And, you know, he does have that build through the draft mentality, which you love because that's obviously the, the best path forward most of the time. But the ability to kind of go away from what he knows in, a, in an industry, a sport, a league that's full of, you know, ego and my way or the highway, right? The ability to, to go outside of your, your comfort, comfort zone, I suppose, and do different things. I think that has to make Dolphins fans really excited about not just right now, but how they're going to build this thing long term. So really good stuff there, Kyle. Let's keep going here talking about the draft finally. Uh, first pick, 102. You know, I've previewed every position here on the podcast now, and we've talked about the moves this offseason, and I think one thing the Dolphins have done is really put themselves in position to just take BPA. I mean, it's we talk about it all yeah. the time. It's a, a popular phrase that gets thrown around, but there's probably, you know, two or three, maybe four spots that you could look at on the roster and say, like you mentioned, yeah, we could use more depth there or immediate rotational pieces, kind of like you mentioned. But really, I think you look at the roster and say, you know, we go into camp with that spot. It looks it looks pretty good. Now, with all that said, we did this last time when you came on at pick 102. Let's just go ahead and get into it. What positions do you think make the most sense there? And, you know, that's that's a holistic question, isn't it? Both in terms of the positional value you expect the draft to produce, like we talked about the tight end position. Uh, let's, let's actually, I'm going to get more convoluted here. Let's break this into two parts and start there. A variety of circumstances can provide different pockets of benefit in the draft. What are a couple of positions that could see some really good talent that maybe in other years might see that value plucked earlier than pick 102, but because of how it stacks up, what are a couple of positions you think that could present some real value at that 102 pick? Yeah, uh, I know this This might be music to a lot of Dolphins fans' ears despite the moves that have been made already this offseason, but the running back position this year is loaded. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of really good players that in a vacuum you would say, yeah, this probably's got a mid mid to late day two pick, but you do the volume of those players, and we already talked about, you know, when do you think the first one comes off the board? I don't, I don't think we get one in the first round. I'd be surprised if we got more than two in the top fifty. Well, maybe Brees Hall goes to the Bills at the end of the first round. I know he's probably the betting favorite. I, I don't know that for sure, but 
It just seems like he's the consensus favorite to potentially get his name called first. But you've you've got a lot of backs, whether it's James Cook from Georgia, who's more of a pass-catching type, whether it's um, some more of these heavy heavy hitters between the tackles as well that I think is is probably we're talking about rotational players as I kind of survey the Dolphins running back room I think Jared Dokes is probably the closest to that player as a seventh round pick from last year and he'll get a chance to compete but if they want to get a Rashad White from Arizona State who's another pass catcher but can run effectively between the tackles I really like him in zone or Pierre Strong Jr. from uh, South Dakota State, who ran in the four threes and was highly, highly productive. And I think he's underrated as a, a pass blocker, too, bringing back that nerd in me. And for pass pro, speaking of pass pro and backs, Damian Pierce from Florida, uh, somebody who didn't get a lot of mileage at Florida uh, in, in a crowded running back room, and they kind of consistently pass guys around. And if they want another big body guy who can run to the outside, you've also got Isaiah Pacheco from uh, Rutgers who ran in the four threes and is 215 pounds and successfully runs kind of that toss. You think about San Francisco and, and what they did with the outside run game and the, the short toss with Debo Samuel at times last year. Uh, I, I could see a role like that for a player like him early in day three, or uh, I know that that's a little bit behind one Oh two, but you have so many options. And the fact that you have so many options it makes it really hard for me to envision teams continuing to prioritize that position early Yeah, because it's like, okay, the opportunity costs, I can get 90% of this player a round or two rounds later. So why would I draft this guy early? So that potentially is going to push a lot of the top guys down too. So uh, I think the number one position that I think has depth that would be beneficiary uh, of the dolphins with their first pick being at one Oh two is you can get really, really good running back value if that's something they choose to prioritize i think that your answer there which is great by the way kind of opens up another philosophy that maybe gets lost in the shuffle sometimes but you're not just drafting for 2022 right because like you look at the the additions of Mostert and edmonds and gaskin's still here and savan ahmed's still here and you mentioned jared mm-hmm. dokes uh, as the running back room kind of rounds out but i mean you look at the, the lengths of contracts that those guys sign it's you got to prepare for not just now, but for 2023, 2024. And that's where the idea of a four-year contract for a running back could do you some benefit and give you some favors in that room, not just in adding to what you have this year, but in future years here for the Miami Dolphins running back room. So good stuff there. Can, can I, can I jump in on that real quick? You can. And it, it's just this thought, you know, we, we talk about life cycles at, at the draft network and, you know, it's a pretty popular phrase to refer to teams having different mentalities in different chapters. And we just got done alluding to that with Chris Greer too. But with this roster being built out the way that it is, like that kind of mentality starts to take more hold now than what it has been because they've been looking for foundational players. Yeah. Well, you found a lot of foundational players. Now you can start to ask yourselves those questions, and, that, and now it is more appropriate to start drafting players for, hey, we need to be ready for next year when we have to make a contractual decision about player X at position Y. Yeah, it's a lot easier when you have Javon Holland, Jalen Phillips, Jalen Waddle, Christian Wilkins, all these guys that you know you can count on to plop them in there for 700, 800 snaps, or, you know, in the case of, of a Holland, mm-hmm. a thousand snaps, and you're going to get good production there. That's a great point, man. It's a good, that's a good spot to end this topic and get to our next topic, which is part of the previous topic, but it's a game that I want to introduce to you. We're going to get to that here next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, my guest today, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and Locked On Dolphins, here brought to you by AutoNation. 
All right, back here on this draft preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. My guest, as he is every single year here, right before the draft kicks off, is Kyle Krabs. You can hear his podcast, Locked On Dolphins, every day on the Locked On Podcast Network, as well as his work at the Draft Network. And so I talked about this that convoluted question at the end of the last segment, but this is a, another Dolphins portion of that question and a game that I kind of came up with here. You know, I, I think every position, Kyle, remains on the board at all times, but you also look at like, you know, for the Dolphins, for instance, quarterback, tight end, maybe even wide receiver, offensive guard, interior defensive lineman, and probably even the entire secondary as positions that you say, well, we're set at top. We like the depth. And you could look at possibly some others and, or say this about some others, but that would leave, I guess, tackle, center, running back, edge, and off-ball linebacker. Let's go name for name here among those spots at 102. So tackle, center, running back, edge, off-ball linebacker. I'm going to give you the honors here. You're going to pick okay. five. I'm going to pick five. You go first. Kick us off. Who is the one All player five? at those five positions, yeah, that you want at 102? Okay. If you're drafting a center at 102, I really want Cole Strange. That's my first player Chattanooga. on my big board. <laughs> Bummer, dude. Hate to, apparently, great minds do think alike. It's, it's good to know. Uh, yeah, went down to the senior bowl. He's he's super athletic. And if you want to introduce some some competition for Michael Dieter, I would love for it to be him. Uh, at the linebacker position, no, I'll no, no. probably you, you get you get you get one pick, uh, and then I get a pick. Oh, so I'll, okay, I'll I'll be quiet. Go ahead. So was Cole Strange your pick then? You can change it. Yes. Oh no, I'm drafting Cole Strange, especially since you told me he was the top player. In the <laughs> yeah, ball, there so. you go. I am gonna do this and uh, sh- and shamelessly take someone on the offensive line, but he's going to be. Wait, did I, is this a position that I had on there? I did. Okay, offensive tackle. Going back to Washington State, I'm taking Abraham Lucas there, the big right tackle, because I've seen him perform for a long time successfully there at the right tackle spot. So Abe Lucas, for me, is my uh, first-round pick there. I guess big third, surprise, third Travis round. going with a Cougar. <laughs> what are you, you going to do, man? You're up. Um, okay, so I need offensive tackle, off-ball linebacker, and remind me of the other positions. Running back, uh, center, and edge. Okay, and I already drafted my, my center. Correct. Okay, so I I will probably go with uh, linebacker Troy Anderson from Montana State as the linebacker choice here. You, I mean, you think about how this defense over the last couple of years has moved personnel around. Anderson was on the offensive side of the ball. He played quarterback and then running back at Montana State. And then he goes over to the defensive side of the ball and he's all-conference at both outside linebacker and inside linebacker in consecutive years. Uh, phenomenal top-shelf athlete. He's just a little raw. This would be one of those you're drafting more for 2023 picks, but his ceiling is so immeasurably high, and the, his ability to move around I think would be really valuable in this defense. Yeah, he's, he's a fun watch. and I've, It's fun to watch like not just Dolphins Twitter, but draft Twitter kind of get their eyes on his tape. Yes. And you see the tweets come out like, oh man, this is, you know, he's, he's been very popular from what I've seen. I am going to go back to the running back position for my second pick and take a guy you already mentioned. My, my audience knows I love this guy from South Dakota State, Pierre Strong Jr. I love the urgency he presents. I love the fact that when he hits the hole, if you don't get your, your safety down in that box after he gets past the first level, he might score a touchdown because he has that urgency and that speed to, to not just get to the spot quickly, but get through the arm tackles and get to, the, to pay dirt and get to the end zone and score points. So Pierre Strong Jr. is my second pick. Who do you got in the third there? Okay, so this is where my strategy is really going to come into play here. Since you've already drafted a tackle, or you've already drafted a running back and a tackle, I'm not going to draft those. I'm just going to draft the edge next and make sure I get my top choice here at this position. 
and then get leftovers. Uh, so of the edge guys that I predictively think could be here in this strike zone, if Josh Pascal from Kentucky ends up being here in this range, you think about how the Dolphins have put Emmanuel Agba down inside at times with his hand in the dirt on an inside shade on offensive tackles. I think he can do that, but then he showed up at the combine at 268 and had like a 38-inch vert, like super explosive with his lower half to go with really, really heavy hands and, and ability to, to generate that knockback that we've heard those Dolphins players talk about on the defensive side of the ball from time to time as far as jolting guys with their hands. So I'll go with uh, Josh Pascal, kind of a hybrid uh odd front, even front, flexible defender uh, out of Kentucky. That'd be a great pick. And it also makes me feel more comfortable about the guy I put on my list next because I did the same thing you were talking about there. You went with the uh, the center and Cole Strange. I'm going to keep my center on the board here to Lake, so now you're not going to go back to him here. Maybe you will, I don't know. But uh, uh, I'm going to do the same thing that you did here and, and hope this guy falls down the board. I think I mentioned to you after watching the national championship, like Georgia has so many dudes in that defense, but man, Quay Walker... The physicality he plays with and the way he strikes guys and the knockback you talk about, he he has that grown man strength already that I think you're going to see be able to show up on Sundays. You know, sometimes in the college game, it's not quite as physically imposing when they get to the next level because you're playing against yeah. lesser athletes, not quite as strong athletes. But Quay Walker, kind of that sandbacker position, he's my pick right here. So uh, that's a great selection and he'd be a, a home run fit for Miami. I have him graded in the same range that you have him pegged here as somebody who might be there. There's a little bit of buzz though, that like he might end up getting drafted in the same range as Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma got yeah. drafted a couple years out ago at the end of the first round. Wouldn't so, surprise me, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would not surprise me as a height, weight, speed athlete if, if he gets drafted in that range. So I've got running backs and offensive tackles and offensive tackles going to hurt me because you, you took Abe Lucas already. And that's, probably the only tackle I would have in consideration here uh, at all. So I'll go with a back oh, next to kind of reflect how I, I covet the players. And I will go with James cook uh, from Georgia. Uh, his ability, he, he's a four or five guy, but they put him split out wide and have him run go routes down the field. And he's catching balls, tracking it vertically down the field. And uh, I like his, his ability to kind of jitterbug between the tackles and, and create some space for himself as well. So I'll go with James Cook as my next pick here. Yeah, he, he's a hell of a player. That's that's a fun one. I'm, I'm glad you took him there. I, I would definitely have him in my, in my list here. I'm not going to take him now because he, we took running backs ready, but Rashad White from Arizona State, another one of those guys here. I'm going to get mm -hmm. my center off the board right here. I'll take my edge next, but I'm going to go ahead and take Cam Jurgens from Nebraska. Uh, just one of those those mean dudes that I think that every offensive line needs. He he kind of qualifies the two things we talked about a lot this offseason. Can they move and are they smart players? And then you have that nasty finishing temperament. I'm going to go ahead and get Cam Jurgens right here for my fourth pick. You got okay, one more. So my, my last one is going to be an offensive tackle. And it, it's a little bit of a reach versus where I have this player actually graded. Uh, I, I do have him as more of a four mid four, um, but I do think for the sake of this conversation, it's worth acknowledging Matt Woletsko from North Dakota was a senior bowl participant at, at offensive tackle. And he looked really good against Arnold Ebicady in some of the one-on-ones and Ebicady a pass rusher from Penn state. Who's getting some first round buzz. Uh, but this is a dude who is 96 percentile in height. Uh, he's 312 pounds, 85 and a half inch wingspan, which is 97th percentile for offensive tackles. Uh, he ran a 503 40 yard, uh, dash with a 173 10-yard split. That's 90th and 83rd percentiles. Uh, he had a 9-foot, 5-inch standing broad jump, which is 94th percentile for offensive linemen. Super, super explosive player. 
and, and just a freakish size for a small school kid. So, well, let's go from, from North Dakota is kind of a bet on traits guy here with this last pick. He, I think he was a name that Joe brought up on the podcast we did as a guy that he really liked as well. So two for two there with uh, yeah. with big-time expert opinions giving us names there. So I'm going to go ahead and finish out this draft with my Jay Sanders from Cincinnati. Uh, the the, the build, the length, the, the ability to kind of bend that corner off the edge and, and play – you know, a, a high volume of downs, I think could be an early rotation guy that you build into a potential long-term starter there off the edge from the Cincinnati Bearcats. So that's 10 names we gave you. Cole Strange, Abe Lucas, Troy Anderson, Pierre Strong Jr., Josh Pascal, Quay Walker, James Cook, Cam Jurgens, Matt Walesko, MyJ Sanders. Kyle, if that's if one of those 10 guys is the first pick for the draft this year for the Dolphins, you feel pretty good about it? Yeah, you either got really good value or you got a really high upside player. Awesome. Um, regardless of any of those 10 players. Uh, I, I think that would be a great foundational bit to kind of take a look at and say, hey, here, here's a short list of guys we should hope to see is going to be available. Okay, speaking of short lists, let's do this really quickly before we get to our last break. Or we already did our last break, never mind. But let's do a quick, a short one here with the other positions. Just two picks each, all right? Quarterback, tight end, wide receiver, offensive guard, interior defensive line, defensive back. So the other positions, two guys, go ahead and take the honors. Pick 102. So we're going to do the draft all over again. Just, just we're, we're doing two rounds. You get two picks. I get two picks. Okay. Okay. Um, and quickly. You can't put me on the spot like that <laughs> and then expect me to, to prosper. How about uh, Josh Williams cornerback from Fayetteville state is just a absolute freakish height, weight, speed athlete, super physical. You think about the dolphins and the, the amount of dollars that they do have invested in the cornerback position. If they want some, cheap young talent that to, can continue to grow into that spot. Obviously, Noah Benogany is still on the roster, and we'll see what year three, maybe there's a jump like we talked about with some of the other guys. Uh, but he's a player who the ceiling is immeasurable, and this is probably the right range to kind of bet on traits with somebody like that. That's a, Was he at the senior bowl? Yes. See, that's that's where I know the name. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Fayetteville State threw me off, but I remember writing about him a little bit and getting a chance to watch him just, just a little bit, but that's a good pick there. I'm going to go to right back to the Alabama well, back to the receiver well, and take John Mechie because I just love his game. I uh, know the receiver group for the Dolphins is pretty loaded right now, but I think John Mechie's a great fit for what the Dolphins want to do offensively, an explosive playmaker who can turn those you know quick slants into long touchdown passes, even coming off the injury. So John Mechie is my pick. Who's your, yeah, who's your second guy? I'll go, I'll go tight end. Uh, I know we've alluded to, to the tight end position and we brought some names back, some familiar faces, but um, we do know this offense based on some of the track record that we've seen in other teams across the league that implements it. Um, you, you can have a lot of versatility with some of your athletes. I'll go Greg Dulcich uh, from UCLA, who is somebody who I think has plenty of development uh, to be had as far as a run blocker, but he shows a really good appetite for it. And he's a rat, a, a rat guy a yak guy at the tight end position. And uh, I think he's led the pack 12 in receiving yards amongst tight ends in each of the last two years. So a highly productive football player. He crushed it senior bowl. Uh, I think that'd be a great value pick. I obviously know Hunter long is in the building as well, but uh, it's a mismatch league and we'll, we'll see, you know, obviously Mike Kosecki, we need to figure out if that's a long-term deal or not uh, for him. And, and Adam Shaheen is somebody who's getting close to the end of his current contract as well. So there may be some turnover in that position room. Yeah, it makes plenty of sense. And we talk about drafting for, for long-term and just continue to bolster our roster that we feel pretty good about. Mm-hmm. And that was a guy I know you got pretty excited about a couple months back when you first got a chance to do your uh, your cross-checks and everything with him. So you got your guy there. I'm going to go back to the cornerback spot and take Cam Taylor-Britt, primarily oh, for fit, because I think that he's one of the better press corners 
uh, in this draft, especially in this range here from Nebraska. So Cam Taylor Britt's ability to come down, play physical, play the run, get in guys' faces, throw off that timing. Uh, I'm a big fan of his game, so I'll go with him. So that's uh, another contender for the nickel too. Yeah, there you go. He, exactly. He, you could play him inside, and he will thrive in run fits. So he he's excellent. You can never have enough of those guys in this defensive backfield. Right. I don't want to see them just kind of sit on it and, and call it good, you know, just because they are so good. Like, if you get a good chance to get a player, go go ahead and go get that guy. And Cam Taylor Britt would be one of those guys. All right, Kyle, let's go back into this, uh, back into the draft mode here. And I know we just talked about 14 names, which is great for the podcast here. But um, I wanted to get your take on the day three options because we go, we come back around day, you know, or round seven, I should say. And they could be guys that are in the UDFA range or maybe their sixth round range. You hope they fall to you. Just some of your day three favorites here. And maybe you trade up for them. You can talk about that too. Some day three favorites for your Miami Dolphins in this year's draft. Yeah. So as, as I kind of survey what's where the depth lies on day three, um, I would I would really love to see them go find guys that can give you snaps on teams, right? And being able to play on special teams early on. I think about a guy like uh, Percy Butler, the safety from Louisiana, uh, who's an absolute killer on special teams. Uh, he's not going to blow you away with his physical measurables or anything like that. And I think as a pure defensive player, uh, there's some development there that's needed. But Percy Butler from Louisiana, if you you have him on the board for you in the seventh round, like that's a guy that you can guarantee will make your roster as your fourth safety and somebody who's going to cover kicks and, and do very, very well in that regard. And obviously the Miami dolphins have a bit of a void there with the decision to let Mac Hollins depart in free agency to go to the Raiders this off season. Uh, there's going to be competition in that spot. So, so that's one name. If you were going to look at a running back a little later that had some size and physicality to him, I, I really like Keontae Ingram from USC. Uh, I think he's somebody who created for himself. He dropped a little bit of weight coming into 2021 and uh, showcased some, some short area twitch and, um, He's a different running style. He's a little bit more physical and assertive as a runner, uh, challenging tacklers with, with his frame as necessary. Uh, I'll point to a, a potential uh, local, at, at least off this past year at Miami, Charleston Rambo at wide receiver is somebody who a uh, bottom of the, the wide receiver room contender. Obviously the, the, they have plenty of players with experience returning kicks. Do they want any of them returning kicks full time? Again, I don't, I don't know, but that that's kind of the theme as I'm looking at these seventh-round picks. And I go back to what Chris Greer talked about when he had the pre-draft press conference, and he's like, when you have this few picks, you feel like you got to hit on them, and you you got to know what you're getting. And when you're picking in the seventh round, there's usually not a lot of those unless you're getting guys who have a very clear and defined role on special teams. Yeah. The last name I'll leave you with, uh, Travis, I'll make you real happy. I'll talk about a Washington State Cougar. Uh, Jalen Watson, yes. uh, the defensive back who's six foot three, runs in the four fours, physical. I think he'd be another guy who would be a contender for some of those teams' reps as well. Yeah, he was he was kind of a stab- stabilizing force in a Washington State team this year that was really close, really really damn close to going off the rails of the in season firing of our uh, our doofus yeah. head coach that got replaced, and then the interim guy gets the full time job because he beat up the Huskies in the Apple Cup for the first time in seven years. But I'll go ahead and get off that topic. What am I to say about that? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned special teams because we talk about this a lot. You know, like I think it would behoove the Dolphins who clearly, clearly value special teams in a way that I think, you know, everyone does, but I think more so than most teams, it would be nice mm-hmm. to get a guy that can really give you a core special teams piece in that seventh round uh, for the next four years would be a really That's big hit. That's Percy for them. Butler. Okay. Thank you. I needed that. I needed that name. School, yep. school and position again. 
uh, safety from Louisiana. Perfect. I know you got to go get your haircut, man. Just let you go ahead and do that. But before you do that, I want to hear one name that if this guy falls for whatever reason into that 50, 60, 75 round range, who's the one guy that you're happy with giving future draft capital to go up and get this year? Oh, somebody I'm willing to risk it all for. Yep. That's the thing. That's the deal. That's the question. Oh man. Um, that is such a tough call in this year's draft class. I've kind of mentally punted on, on the idea of, of being in that conversation. I would probably point to um, maybe Quay Walker, the guy that you mentioned. I, I don't expect him to be yeah. there, but I kind of graded him uh, in that range. And I think about somebody with that kind of length and explosiveness, potentially playing in the middle and the heart of that defense uh, a couple of years down the road as he continues to develop. And, and that's somebody you'd be willing to bet on the traits with. So um, I think his floor is probably higher than Troy Anderson's, who was the linebacker I mentioned earlier. So if Quay Walker starts that slide, yeah, I'd be making some phone calls. There's moments in this industry where you kind of feel yourself validated. I, I've talked before about like when Channing Crowder talks to me about knowing football, like that really made me feel good about myself. You giving me the Quay Walker stamp of approval when I first brought his name up back in the national championship game, that makes me feel very good, my friend. So once again, you said it all. You've absolutely killed it. At Grinding the Tape on Twitter, Director of Scouting at the Draft Network, Locked On Dolphins Podcast, Kyle Krabs. Appreciate you as always, my friend. Can we put you down this year again for Fan Weekend and Bo Campers on that Saturday? Yes. <laughs> Lock me in. I love it. He's locked in. He's Locked On Dolphins. Kyle Krabs, thanks a lot, man. So typically when I say farewell to my guests, they'll say like, thanks a lot, Travis. Appreciate you having me on. Kyle didn't say anything. So I asked him about it after he got off the air and I said, you didn't say anything. He goes, I'm not going to have the last word on your podcast. I love that guy. He's the best. Kyle Krabs, go check out his work. Thank you to him again for doing this. Thank you to the entire Draft Network team for kind of carrying the water here, previewing the draft class this year. Very valuable information for us for a couple of weeks now here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. We'll have the mailbag tomorrow answering your questions both on MiamiDolphins.com as well as the Drive Time Podcast here. So check out that one. And then we'll come back to recap night two of the draft. That podcast will be out Saturday morning, I believe, here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank, the Wednesday night Twitter Spaces show, and of course the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Daddy's coming home.